The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by High Echelon. You can find them at highechelloncpa.com. High Echelon PC is a nationwide CPA firm in Atlanta focused on a great client experience. High Echelon provides top quality work with total transparency, so clients always know exactly what they're getting. They believe accounting doesn't need to be complicated and that clients should always get the experience they deserve, which includes top-notch accounting, tax and payroll services, timely communication, complete data flow, and the best automation and security. Book a call or drop them a line at their website, highecheloncpa.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Elemental Altitude Training Center. You can find them at elementalaltitude.com. Elemental Altitude is Atlanta's best and only altitude training facility. At Elemental Altitude's state-of-the-art indoor training center, they are capable of simulating elevation up to 24,000 feet. Training in the thinner air and lack of oxygen prompts an increase in red blood cells, meaning that more oxygen can be delivered to your working muscles on race day. Athletes undertaking all sorts of goals from rugged mountain climbs to flat sea level marathons to Ironman triathlons train in the hypoxic environment created at Elemental Altitude. I trained there several times myself ahead of my successful race at the London Marathon in 2022. In addition, Elemental Altitude hosts a variety of physiological testing such as sweat testing, blood lactate testing, VO2 max testing, and a variety of metabolic testing which can tell you your resting metabolic rate and the types and amounts of fuel you're burning at different training and racing intensities. Drop them a line at info at elementalaltitude.com if you have questions or you want to set up an appointment. Again, their website is elementalaltitude.com. Finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at bluepineappletravel.com. Blue Pineapple Travel is an agency of experienced travel advisors who help you design the perfect trip. Blue Pineapple Travel advisors are all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. They love to help people plan their travel, whether it's for a race, a family trip, a weekend getaway, or the trip of a lifetime. Their goal is to match you with the trip that you want. Relaxation or adventure, traveling solo or with a group inside the U.S. or abroad, Blue Pineapple Travel can plan exactly the trip that you want. Find them online at bluepineappletravel.com and see some of the great places that folks who have worked with Blue Pineapple Travel go on their Instagram, at bluepineappletravel. Thanks to all of our sponsors who help us bring you the most pleasant exhaustion podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by Elemental Altitude Training Centers, MPE Coaching, Blue Pineapple Travel, and High Echelon PC. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a father of twin boys, and I'm a college professor. My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a mom to three girls and a CPA. And we have the distinct pleasure to welcome for the third time on to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast, the new national record holder for the Masters Women's 50 Miler, Allison Mercer. Welcome back. Feels good to be back and talk about another race. So right on, right on. Um, you know, we had you before when you were talking about strolling gym. And of course, I didn't get to take part in that one, which I'm still a little bit bitter about. Um, and we, it's worth mentioning, you went back to strolling gym in 2023 this year and won after we interviewed you when you when you finished second in 2022. And then, of course, the Ragnar relay that you did with Michelle and with me and with our friend Justin Dugan. Um, and and now you are the national masters women's record holder for the 50 mile distance. That's no joke, Allison. Well done. Uh, congratulations. We are proud to say we know you. What can I say? You're just faster as a master. <laughs> um, it was also the third fastest women masters time ever for the 50 mile distance in the world. And that that's it's a big planet, Allison. That's a pretty impressive thing. It's the sixth fastest women's time for over 50 miles for masters or any other women uh, in North American history. So a really impressive performance there on November 11th at the Tunnel Hill 50 mile run. Um, I guess the, the place to start is to say, when did this come on your radar? You just turned 40 this year, right? Correct. April 2nd. And uh, I already had Berlin on the calendar. So Tunnel Hill was about um, a month and a half after Berlin. 
So I kind of was just like, we'll see how Berlin goes. If I'm not too beat up, um, make sure it's okay with my husband, Ben. And I checked in with Janice Anderson, who helped coach me through strolling gym to see if this was feasible, if this can be accomplished. Am I out of my mind? Well, we, we know that, but <laughs> if I you, you are an ultra runner, Allison. I mean, come on. Yes. So uh, I just went with the plan and then Tunnel Hill was just the icing on a cake. So I just wanted to see what I could do. There was no pressure. And I just wanted to take advantage of the fitness I had from Berlin. Did you come out of Berlin feeling pretty good? I mean, we should say that in Berlin, you ran uh, 249.53. You finished eighth in your age group. You're 104th overall. You had a great race there. You PR'd there. Did you come out of Berlin feeling good, feeling okay? Um, and and is that when you kind of made the decision? I mean, first and foremost, seeing you three times in about a 24-hour <laughs> period was really, you know, who cares about the PR? Yeah, and that's the pretty uplifting. Yeah, yeah. I mean... You know, I see you more than I've seen you probably in Atlanta, other than the Ragnar Relay. But <laughs> no, um, I felt we, so. This is why you've been on here three times, Allison. Keep it coming. <laughs> yes, I felt so smooth, so comfortable, and really dialed in the pace and thought to myself, took a few days off, and then started running back and said, I feel great. Like, I, there's no fatigue. There was no um, any injuries and felt like I could accomplish it in a month and had a right plan, followed that, talked to all the proper people, um, PT, um, my husband, and said, let's go for it. It works out in our schedule. Uh, we had the PTO. So why not? So you had six weeks. What did that six weeks actually look like? So the first week I took um, a couple days off. I have a rule, take one day off for every 10 miles raced. And also just coming back from jet lag and fatigue from, we were gone actually about two and a half weeks. So it took a while to adjust back. Um, as Michelle noted, I didn't really taper well because we were in Finland, Sweden and Norway prior yeah. to Berlin. So there was a lot of time on feet. So Berlin was kind of just once again, no, no real expectations, just execute. Um, and then, so once I got back, it was just doing long runs and peaking with on Saturday, I did a 25 mile run next day, did a 20 mile run as kind of a barometer on covering the distance and time on feet. Mm -hmm. So just, doing those a lot of speed workouts Tuesdays and just really getting that turnover because Tunnel Hill is relatively flat. So mm -hmm. training at the Chattahoochee River really um, prepared me well for the race. Um, did you feel like the training was besides the back-to-back -back long runs, which as somebody who has trained under Janice for a 50 mile race, I know well, did you feel like the training was that different um, from just the specific Berlin preparation to the specific Tunnel Hill 50 mile preparation? Um, no, it wasn't as different. I prefer high mileage. I don't like taking, I wouldn't say I don't like taking days off, but I feel like I don't need to because I take my easy days very easy where I just like accumulating the miles. So I didn't mind sure. having higher mileage and I did actually had higher mileage for Berlin per week than I did for strolling gym. So mm. it wasn't much different. Um, do you think, you know, there's something to be said about not that we're like responsible for sending the message, but I think there's this perception that if you want to go from the marathon to an ultra, you have to run so many more miles and have so much more time and train so differently. But I feel like both my experience preparing for a 50 mile and literally what you just said, um, yes, there's, you know, a little bit more put into the long run on the weekends, but otherwise, would you say it's a relatively similar path to race day? 100%. I feel like it's more preparing yourself for nutrition and just the mental fortitude of an ultra. Yeah. 
Um, so tell us a little bit about Tunnel Hill. It has a reputation for being flat and fast. Um, a lot of people go there to try to make teams. Is it road? Is it soft dirt? Like what, what is it? What are you running on for 50 miles there? So I would call Tunnel Hill the Valencia of (laughs) ultra running as appropriate for Valencia this weekend. You know, it's not a Western States. It's not a hard rock. It's not a UTMB. But if you want to run fast, you go to Valencia Mm -hmm. or not Valencia, Tunnel Hill. And (laughs) Valencia, you know, (laughs) so um, it is literally just a it's all unpaved. And, but it's like how the, the river is where it's just pea gravel. It is a rails to trail. It is beautiful. There's a canopy um, and it's just ideal. And it's a double out and back, which I didn't realize till about a week and a half before listening to some podcasts. <laughs> so basically it is um 13 mile out and back and you go back to where the finish is and then you do another out and back, but that out and back has a little bit of a, a gain to it. Um, so you do have some um, climbs in it, but with that and it being an out and back, what you climb up, you get to go climb down. down. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's what made the last about 11 miles, you know, doable and how to break it up was knowing, all right, I'm climbing this, but I get to go down. And the other thing with an out and back, because the hundred milers and the 50 start at the same time, you see people, they're so encouraging. And it also shows you who's behind you and who's ahead of you. Mm -hmm. So you know how to gauge it in terms of competition, Mm -hmm. but it is well supported. You have about eight stations every five miles. Um, some are manned, some have crew access, some don't, but it is well supported. Was so you you see all the other people going and and you ended up finishing as the second woman in the race. Um, you were uh, uh, only a couple of minutes behind the the winner, um, and then you were sixth overall in the race. Um, was was that part of your goal and even during the race was that motivating you or were you there to run this record to beat this record and and the splits on your watch is what was motivating you or both it was both um polina the woman that won is a 230 marathoner so Mm -hmm. i knew i would have competition um and i wanted the course record i wanted that money i wanted you know the also the record Um, so a lot of factors went in and I knew what pace I needed to hit. I had discussed it with Janice and a couple other people, um, what I needed to do to execute it. And I had my friend Joe, who was also doing the race, help pace it and set the standard. But around mile 13, Polina joined us till about mile 32, where she kind of just took off. So I had someone kind of pushing but also, you know, had kept me accountable um, in terms of the race. So mm-hmm. it was very, um, I, I go back and forth on, should I have let her lead more? Should I have done this? Or would I have done the same if she wasn't there? But I feel like it helped keep both of us accountable mm-hmm. um, and just push the pace a little bit. Right. I mean, for the most part, as somebody who followed the race closely, those those middle miles kind of seemed just like you guys were, you know, I think we were just talking amongst ourselves, like hopefully they're just keeping each other from getting bored, right? Hopefully the miles are going by faster than they would be if you were out there alone. Um, I mean, I know she took off the last third of the race, but did it feel like that for like the 20 or so miles that you were able to just kind of cue off of each other? Honestly, I was just hoping to push the pace and kind of drop her. So, um, I didn't notice she wasn't eating or drinking much. And um, so I was like, well, if I keep pushing, maybe she'll, she'll drop. And she didn't, um, she had crew, but they weren't handing her bottles like Ben was to me and and our friend Brian. And she was amazed that I was eating and drinking as much Mm -hmm. as I was and not not having to go to the bathroom after the race. um, She was like, how did you not go to the bathroom the whole time? I mean, that was shocking for me. Um, 
And she was like, I have never done this. I have been training, but I didn't know what to do about that. And she said if she had stopped, she would have not been able. She literally started seizing up once she finished and could not move to the point where Laz actually had to help her to her car. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I knew if this race had gone on a little bit longer, I don't know how much she would have maintained. But, um, you know, yeah, we definitely pushed each other, kept each other accountable. um, And it was definitely helped pass the time where I was just like, how is she still going? I also was listening to music. So that kind of helped motivate me sure. and <laughs> going and just kind of like zone out, mm-hmm. especially for that distance. Um, you mentioned crew. What was the crew situation like? Did you, I know you said Joe was in the race and was the plan for him to run his own race or was the plan always for him to be an official intern in the race and pace you? Um, what was that like going in? <laughs> um, I mean, we had similar goals and, he learned because he did strolling gym too and we kind of started off together and he kind of took off but then bonked and then I passed him in the last mile (laughs) so 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 he was like I need to stick with you more hold back a little bit and be a little bit smarter and racing and he knew that um if I stick to a pace I'm going to stick to it and kind of bank a little time knowing that you know, in those um, middle miles, it's going to be a climb and make sure that I have enough in the tank to utilize the downhill and um, execute my plan accordingly. So he wanted to start off. So I would say the first like 13 to 20 miles, I'm like, all right, Joe, we're going a little fast. All right. We did like 658. that last (laughs) one. I don't want to, and not really having experience with that distance and racing. I wanted to make sure we didn't do too much. Yeah. And build a deficit. And then in terms of aid station crew and stuff like that, um, I mean, most people would think 50 miles, you're wearing a vest, you're carrying all your fuel. What did that look like? Were you just picking stuff up every five miles and kind of running hands free or? Yeah. So I got a naked belt. Um, I didn't want to carry handheld just because it kind of gives you a disproportional when your arm swinging, having a um, tendency to fall a lot. I just thought, that will be a recipe for disaster. Um, so that is not not an understatement, (laughs) but no, just look at the knees. Um, so I, um, wore a naked belt and then had a 500 milliliter collapsible bottle and lots of gels that I kept. And then every time I saw Ben, I would just swap out with a new bottle and that had goo in it. So I had the electrolytes, the calories, and also the liquids to keep me going because it was about 35 degrees to start, but oh you're God. still, but it got hot as yeah. we started. And also some of it is exposed. So you're getting direct sunlight and you're still kind of sweating. So it was still good. And that's what we did with strolling gym. And it worked out perfectly that I just stuck to that plan. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's impressive. Actually, if it was thirty five degrees and you were drinking as much as 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 was required, that's actually impressive. You didn't have to stop and use the bathroom somewhere along the way. Um, it's one thing to not have to stop on a hot day, but but on a cold or a cooler day to not have to stop. That was that was very precise fueling. Well done there. Um, that was one of the questions I certainly had. Um, I also want to know since you just mentioned uh, that you were listening to music part of the time, what was on your playlist? <laughs> So I have this playlist and it's about a three hour long mix that my friend um, Pete made. He's a DJ, DJ Yogi L about Atlanta (laughs) rap. I know, shocker. And it's literally a mashup of every Atlanta rap song, Fila, put on for my city, like just you (laughs) name it. And it is the best playlist. I love it. I put it on repeat. I listen to it at Strolling Gym, listen to it at Berlin. And it just keeps (laughs) me like just in my head. It's just the most motivating. I love the mix so much. And literally it's from when the Falcons were in the Super Bowl. And we don't want Mm -hmm. to talk about that. But Mm -hmm. he just, you know, had an an inspirational ATLian mix that I absolutely adore. You say it's three hours. Do you hit 
do you hit play at the start of the race and then it repeats as the race goes on because this was almost a six hour race or did you mm-hmm. wait and listen to it for like the last three hours or do you listen to it all random the people want to know <laughs> i just put it on repeat so mm-hmm. i actually had to rewind it i need to mm-hmm. learn how to like keep it so i'm not fiddling with it during the race which probably mm-hmm. cost me some time but <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i need to do that or figure out something because yeah it's a large file so i need to figure out how to put it in apple music and all that clearly very good, very good. um so to look at your splits and to, and to look at the way that you ran, you know, sometimes you you see somebody's race and you're like, oh, they had kind of a rough patch here or, or oh, this must have been an uphill section or they must have stopped to take care of a blister or fuel or whatever. But but I didn't see a lot of that in your race splits. Your race splits were really even throughout. Um, uh, I guess the question is is twofold. Number one, how'd you pull that off? Um, and, and two, um, uh, was that always kind of the plan? I'm a machine, George. Come on. No. Clearly. Oh. <laughs> no, it's a, I just, I guess just years of pacing and, and mm. also in Berlin too. And a wow. side story on that. Um, when I was listening to music, I didn't put my notifications on. So I'm in a lovely text group with <laughs> Michelle. I was going to say, so you're not getting a bunch of notifications from Michelle being, <laughs> asking you various things. Yeah. And Shawana and Jill going, Allison's um, splits are so consistent. Can she keep this up? <laughs> Can they go to up to 50 and all that? And I'm like, they're up at 3 a.m. But yeah, I just, I guess I just am doing so much in training of that pace, mm-hmm. knowing how it feels and just keeping consistency. I get in a pace, I set it, forget it. And in one workout, I did 16 miles of that pace. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know it, you just get used to it and it just becomes routine. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just, and also fueling, like there wasn't a low point because I was consistently fueling, consistently motivated and had the fitness. So I think it was just the perfect combo Mm -hmm. of everything. When you say consistently fueling, were you taking gels on a certain minute increment or mileage increment or just whenever? Whenever I needed a supplement where I felt kind of low and kind of blah, um, but just always using the bottle. And at one point I, um, and you had calories in your bottle. Yeah. She had rock thing. Yeah. 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 So I was always having that bottle and, and it was easy to get in now. Um, so I just felt good and just, you know, was very grateful because the one thing is once you hit that 26 mile mark you're like oh my gosh I still have 26 to go can I do this and I was like just keep going just keep going you know mm-hmm. and so it was just not even think about negative thoughts not even doubting yourself and knowing you know you this is something I get to do and and that I'm actually going on schedule the splits were hitting. I felt relaxed. You know, it was like 26 flew by. And then all of a sudden we were at 38. And once again, um, one of the highlights was Devin Yanko was doing the race too. She was doing the hundred. And in one of the turnarounds, she was like, good job, Allison. And I'm like, <laughs> like I was yeah. just having a fangirl moment. Mm. So it was just, amazing and and such a great atmosphere and just having Ben supporting and our friend Brian and just having a positive attitude throughout even though I was kind of disappointed when Polina took off it was still like I'm gonna have a great time I'm still gonna be you know very happy with how I perform Mm -hmm. um okay two questions when Polina took off did you feel like I can go with her, but I might be risking the last 10 miles of the race if I go with her now. Or did you just know that you needed to just stick to the pace that you were running and you had to let her go? Yeah. I mean, she kind of really took off in the tunnel part, which was about 600 feet where you're going in a tunnel and it's pitch black. Yeah. Um, So, and it's right before an aid station where I kind of fumbled with Ben on a bottle and then just kept going and also had to change the music but um so I just stuck to my pace and just kind of still wanted to hit that seven minute 705 mark um and not risk blowing up or anything um so it was 
it was a fine line where I tried to push it, try to close. And, but I was just doing only what I could and, and not risk, you know, my race. Yeah. Racing smart. Um, okay. So this sounds like peaches and cream. Like when did it get hard, Allison? Like this is still 50 <laughs> miles. It's seven minute pace. Like when were you like, Oh, I'm hurting. <laughs> I think on the uphill part where I was just like, is this uphill ever going to end? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Or is she ever going to show any weakness? Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, but I also try to show strong and, you know, when Charlie Lawrence, the um, man that had sure. the 50 mile world record pass, I'm like, hey, Charlie, good job. And like trying to act like having a Sunday stroll. But they look just as effortless. Like when Raj came down, he was like floating. It looked like Baywatch. It was amazing. And and just trying to feed off that and just trying to be strong and and just, you know, show that you're you're ready to close too. right on. Very good. So, and this is kind of related or similar to to the question that that Michelle just asked. So you have the strolling gym 40 miler, which is on the road and it's rolling. You have, of course, the Ragnar trail relay that we all did together, which is about 35, about 31, 32 miles total. And that was on trails, some of which were kind of technical and lots of hills. Um, You have the Berlin marathon, which is a flat, fast marathon. And you have, of course, the Tunnel Hill 50 miler here. Um, you did all four of those this year. Um, you were had great races at all four of them. Um, you had four really, really outstanding competitive experiences at all of them. How, how do they kind of compare to one another? Like, I, I want to say which is hardest, which is easiest. How do the challenges differ? I think, I mean, each one had its own challenges. I would, I would start in chronological order with the Ragnar. It was sleep. And also the heat and just how you balance everything and not go all out the first go and also balance when we had the rain and and also running at night and all the different um, things that you take care of. But also knowing I didn't want to burn myself out because strolling gym was pretty close. Mm-hmm. And also I didn't want to let Michelle down because we thought we were getting our buckles. Right. So <laughs> there was a lot of different things and stake, but just keeping it consistent mm-hmm. um, and being smart. I didn't want to roll an ankle or do something that could jeopardize strolling gym. Right. And, and then with strolling gym, unlike last year, it was hot. And so I really had to keep in mind that, you know, I didn't want to overheat. I also knew what to expect in terms of the hills. So it was really just managing um, heat and and not going too hard in the hills and the downhills and being smart about it. So that was huge. And especially the last 10 miles of strolling gym is fully exposed and also by then it's about noon so you're getting peak heat and so being consistent in that was was key in in executing that Mm -hmm. and then berlin um i mean it was just i had no idea what to expect but just to be consistent and not go out too hard in chicago last year i went out guns blazing and that was just dumb So I still made a lot of mistakes with Berlin and knowing your recap and the, the water. And also um, when it started, it kind of split and I didn't know which side to go on. Mm -hmm. And then I went, eventually went to the left side only for it to merge. Right. And I'm like, (laughs) man, my tangent game is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I knew I needed to work on that. And, um, but like consistency and knowing once we were halfway done, it was like, all right, let's go. But it got hot there too. You know, I'm sure the finish line photos are ugly because I did not feel good, but you know, I got to see you after and that was just like the highlight. Absolutely. Um, It was a highlight for me as well. (laughs) And then for, I got to see you before and after I didn't even, there's nobody else I saw before and I didn't see my family before and after. (laughs) I know. Every text from George over like a 36 hour period was like, just saw Allison, just saw Allison, (laughs) just saw Allison again the day after. (laughs) Isn't this weird how I keep running into Allison? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's There's not nobody else in Berlin. 
it sounds like it sounds like the common theme then is this consistency, this execution of a plan, right? Mm-hmm. That, that that you went into all of them, um, kind of aware of of what you could do, or not totally aware of what you could do, because that wasn't really the Berlin situation, but but kind of going in with a with a plan and and just kind of coldly executing that plan. Is that right? Yeah, and I think it's maturity and and. Mm-hmm setting realistic expectations on the race and trying not to put too much pressure. Cause once again, the first mile of Berlin, I'm like, I get to do this. Like, this is fun. This should be fun. And just let all expectations go. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I still put a lot on myself, especially at strolling gym where I was like, I want to freaking win this after Camille showing up. Mm-hmm. I want to prove I'm not a fluke. <laughs> that I can Mm -hmm. do it. Mm -hmm. Did I think I was getting the gold shirt? No. Did Mm -hmm. I think I was going to be able to do that? No. Mm -hmm. But it was just, and I think you nailed it when you all had the recap episode last year about just having that imposter syndrome. And I think also Tunnel Hill helped solidify it that I'm like, oh, I actually am pretty decent at this, that, you know, (laughs) there's something to be said about consistency and, and execution and, you know, being the third fastest master 50 miler, like mm-hmm. it's wild to me. I mm-hmm. never would think I would, uh, you know, when I was talking to you at Cocker and Mills, like going, that's George from the ITL podcast, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It does not need the ego. <laughs> so, uh, Allison, we're currently interviewing for new co host. Um, and so, you know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, Allison, part of uh, like the credentials that kind of you just talked about, like being, quote, pretty good at this um, third fastest, you know, six fastest, these things, they typically put people on like a national team of some sort. So I know like Tunnel Hill was maybe not the goal for the year, but I think after strolling gym, there was a shift in, oh, if I could put up another result, then like maybe I can make a team. Um, so can you just walk us through kind of like that process in terms of what the hopes were going into Tunnel Hill and what, you know, what it looks like now for you after um, the result and kind of what do we have to do from here to figure out whether you get named to a team? <laughs> for sure. Uh, for the last few years, that's been the goal and kind of the um, pie in the sky. Like I could yeah. do that. Right. I have credentials. I just need the races and add to the resume. And so it was funny because it was last year when Camille and her husband were like, oh, what's your next race? 50, 100K, whatever. And I'm like, Peachtree, 10K. And they're like, no. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing? And so that's when I was like, well, Tunnel Hill, the Valencia will show speed execution that, you know, that Strolling Gym doesn't because it has... Um, you know, 3000 feet of gain versus yep. 800 at Tunnel Hill. Mm-hmm. So, um, but now having a 50 mile qualifier, which is a requirement of the 100K team, um, I kind of show my resume and having these credentials to be the selection. I emailed um, the ATRA US Mountain Ultra um, yep. coordinators about what is it? Where is the world champ? Where's the USATF 100K champ? Is there one? And, and as of now, they don't have it decided yet. IAU hasn't come out with anything um, because I want to know. And and it will be in 2024 because they do it every other year. So the right. last one was 2022 in Berlin. So I just have to wait. And so the plan will be just do whatever USATF 100K champ if that helps add to it and then just hear it out. But I think putting up the time I did, it should be a no brainer for that team. For the 100 K team. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the possibility that they come up with a 100 K mountain ultra trail championship and you might or might not run it, but even if they don't have that specific race and they just name a team, I mean, based on what I can see, it looks pretty good that you'd be, you know, one of the six-ish people named at the team. Um, yeah. But of course, we never can really know what USATF is thinking. <laughs> yeah. 
but no, all I can do is make it a no brainer for them and, and to show the accolades, to show what I can do, to show that oh, I can do the distance and, you know, whatever it takes, because that's the ultimate goal to be able right. to wear USA Jersey to represent my country and to compete on a world level would be a dream. So how do you plan for um, that always what, what's next question um, going into 2024 just shorter uh, stuff to just kind of get the speed back in your legs. Not that you don't have the speed, but, or, or, or longer stuff to build your resume and further make your case for a team selection. Yeah. See, that's the problem. It's like, I want to do everything, but mm-hmm. I think I'll stick to the longer stuff. And I mean, I made a promise to Ben, no more races the end of the year. But okay, that's <laughs> 31 days from now. We're done with that. Yeah. No. So <laughs> what I are think, we doing in January? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'll just plan. Um, usually the 100K champs is Mad City. So I'll probably just plan and build around that and then just wait and keep following up. I mean, that's the benefit of being a project manager. I'm used to annoying and pestering people and just being that person that shows, hey, I'm interested. Hey, what's up? Like, just to make sure that I am in the loop so that when it is announced, I will be the first to know so I can plan accordingly. Mm-hmm. So, and this is gonna, this is gonna demonstrate my uh, naivete or my ignorance about the process of, of naming the 100K team. But but you said a minute ago that you actually reached out to them um, mm-hmm. and you said, hey, where is this going to be and where is the world champion? Like, like you're almost kind of advocating for yourself. Um, is that really I mean, and I think that's great. But is that is that really what you have to do? I mean, do you, do you have to kind of make sure that they're thinking about you? Um, is that sort of part of the process? I have no idea, but you know, I'm not going to leave it to chance for them to know me. I want them to know, I want to be my best advocate or advocate for myself. And so they know who wants to do it because Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's also difficult to find people when it's kind of last minute, when other people have other races, other plans and everything else that, Hey, this person is wanting to go and also willing to arrange the schedule accordingly to make it work and yeah. wants to be there and wants to perform. Yeah. So. No, I mean, I think literally, I mean, there is a just complete lack of organization in USATF, especially when it comes to, you know, the longer than the road marathon distance. Um, So, yeah, I mean, telling them that you're interested, making sure that your name is on their radar, making sure that they have those results, like literally in front of them over and over again. I mean, that is what a lot of people who make these, you know, 50 mile, 100K, 100 mile, 24 hour teams have to do. I mean, even Camille, who's about to go, you know, where is she? Uh, Taiwan, where are they? She's about to run the 24 hour race. I mean, even she has to even advocate for herself or or her husband for her. Let them know that you're interested. Um, So. I don't know, add that to the list of problems of our governing body when it comes to uh, stuff athletes have to deal with. But yeah, I think that's the right move. Just, you know, not annoying or anything, but you stay in shape and you click off the races that are on people's radars. And then hopefully, you know, I mean, sometimes they name teams and it's like, how the hell did that person get named to that team? It's a, not even a result that factors into like the distance. Um, yeah, I looked at the 50K team and I'm like, well, how did these people make it? And especially because not, it's not all of clear, them- right? Mm-hmm. Just, the criteria is a little bland, a little too much in the gray, but yeah. Yeah. So it's just, ha- just like with anything, when you're applying to a job, college, anything, how do you make it? So it's a no brainer. Like sure. they yeah. look at when they're like, well, of course, like, how can we not, especially when I'm not sponsored, I've never been on a team. You know, I feel like some people are just been on teams, so it's an automatic, mm-hmm. you sure. know? And so having Camille as a friend, a mentor, someone that can advocate for me um, is huge. So just using the network, you know, leaning into that and talking to people like Janice that have been on teams and how they got there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very good. 
So, yeah, I, I don't think that that you have to worry about over annoying them. Like if, if it was if it was a job, then you might have to kind of strike that balance. Right. Is there any part of you that feels like, well, I, I don't want to race too many times because if I have a bad performance, then that might weaken my resume. Yeah, I think that's the pressure is knock on wood. I've had the ability to perform and I'm like, well, what if Mad City doesn't go my way? And it's like well, that's just racing for you. Mm -hmm. And to say, you know, it happens. Every single runner has had that race. But mm -hmm. you know what? At least she has the balls to, you know, put herself out there and mm -hmm. not be afraid to compete against the best. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think too, there's, there's something to your attitude going into Berlin about not worrying about it and not putting too much pressure on yourself to perform and and, and even into Tunnel Hill as well. Like the, the fact that you walked around Europe so much before Berlin, that probably like puts you in the right mind space to not put pressure on yourself in Berlin because you're like, well, I might have just screwed up my race. Oh, well. And then, and then, you know, you're, you turn, you turn out to, to, to run a great race. I'm reminded, and this is a bit of a digression. I'm reminded of, of the story about Siri Lindley, the triathlete who, who's now a, a well-known uh, uh, triathlon coach. Um, but she was coached by Brett Sutton. Um, and she was one of the best triathletes in the world in like 2000, 2001. Um, and when she started working with him, he sent her to a race, a world cup race with all this fatigue in her legs basically to to try and get her out of thinking that she had to perform she's like well i'm not going to be able to perform see and, and so 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 and if he like had a physical trigger for her her mentality going into that race and as soon as she let go of this really high expectation to perform she was actually able to perform uh and she finished second in this world cup race that was the first one she ran with him and so so i, I think there might have been like some of that going on with with your berlin um and yeah, to the degree that you can actually concoct that for Mad City or whatever else you you end up doing in the first few months of the year next year, that might be a good thing, right? Yeah, and with the the trip, you know, I had talked to Ben early because we went with his family, and he was like, "The priority isn't your race. The priority is to have experiences with my family." He had mm -hmm. never been on a rural family vacation. He had never been to Europe, so it's like, why? say oh i'm not doing this for my race when who knows if we'll ever be able to go over there have the experiences have the shared experiences with his family mm -hmm. um during you know in that time so it's like mm -hmm. i can race obviously a lot so mm -hmm. why put this pressure why have all this thing like on the race when it's something i can do anytime yeah. why not have that experience and take part in some wonderful activities that we did, you know, comedians, boat tours, biking tours, um, <laughs> going to all these different museums, and just having a absolute blast mm -hmm. um, during with all these countries. And mm -hmm. I mean, it did help adjust to the time and just, you know, being used to being overseas. But, mm -hmm. you know, it, it just shows you that, you know, you just say, what was the priority? The like I said with Tunnel Hill, Berlin and getting into Berlin was just the icing on the cake. It was mm -hmm. just a tap of a wonderful trip and a wonderful experience I had with Ben and his family. Mm -hmm. I yes. actually sometimes think the travel beforehand and all the chaos of like being in a foreign country and being with family and friends, it almost like you don't have time to be so nervous about the race. Yeah, it keeps you in the moment. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, and and it's such it's such a weird and ironic sports psychology principle that you're gonna perform when you quit worrying about performing, <laughs> and so, so so yeah, you get you get caught up in the trip and the tours and the family and and everything else, and and that keeps you in the moment, and you're more likely to be able to perform than you would if you went into a quiet room by yourself for the last three days to meditate on on the race and try and visualize the the, the finish and that sort of thing. You know, um, oh, for so. sure. and like, I, you know, no one really cares about your PRs. No one cares that, about your races. Like my parents are just like, you ran a marathon. They don't know time. <laughs> I yeah. Hours. They'd be like, that's great. I could say I ran 10 hours. And they're like, 
fabulous. And <laughs> you know, if, if, if Tunnel Hill didn't go my way, it would be like, you know, I would have felt like I let Steve, the race director, down because he was like, you know, putting me in all these race previews and like showing seeing my name. And I'm just like, what is going on? Like that kind of felt like pressure. But I'm like, no one knows who I am. Like it doesn't matter. And if they do, they'll say, hey, she's human and she's had a long year. But at the end of the day, and um Taggart sweatshirt in the beginning of um Tunnel Hill said, no one cares you run ultras. <laughs> True. <laughs> Only other ultra people and other runners care, but you know, times are kind of irrelevant and it's just the pressure we put on ourselves. You know, you'll always have your parents, like whether you run a 5k or a marathon or 50 miles, they'll be like, did you run a marathon? Congratulations. How many miles was that? So <laughs> we're thankful for all those people in our life. <laughs> so, or my absolutely. mom, that's like, why can't you just stick to marathons? Like, why? Yeah. Don't worry about it, mom. <laughs> yeah. Or Ben doing hundreds. Like, isn't 5k's like much more fun, like more fun. And they're like, why would you go to Southern Illinois? Like, one <laughs> or you can just you can just run fifty miles here. Right. <laughs> yeah, you could just go up and down Columns Drive ten times. No big deal. No problem at all. Um, all right. So we have to ask the question: um, What shoes were you wearing for your your Tunnel Hill record performance? The Hoka Rocket X twos were amazing, and it was kind of cool because the winner of the hundred miler is actually a Hoka athlete. Who ran an eleven twenty six for a hundred miles? Raj was wearing Rocket X twos, so I was in very good company. So I felt like I was in that exclusive company wearing them, um, and they were so comfortable. And it being a um, kind of, it might as well have been a road race. Wearing mm -hmm. them felt super comfortable. Mm -hmm. So I mean, your feet eventually get fatigued, and I had one black toenail, but. They were the ideal um, shoe. You didn't need a trail shoe. You didn't need anything pretty heavy duty. So it felt light, bouncy, and felt good. So you're one of the few people I know that's probably run in the gamut of the Hoka shoe. And the Rocket 2 for them was kind of there. They were a little bit late, right, to the like true super shoe game. So do you feel like this is really a shoe, like they finally leveled up, so to speak, in terms of the super shoe for the road, the longer stuff? 100% feel a difference. Yes. And also it doesn't feel out of, as out of control as um, the alpha fly vapor fly sure. and also the stack height where someone where if you have a hairpin turn like you have at Tunnel Hill, you don't feel like you're going to roll an ankle. Right. So yeah. I feel like it's very comfortable, lightweight, bouncy, where it's not feeling out of control. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. They were so so Michelle, you said they're, they're they were late to the super shoe game, and you're right. They they were one of the first to actually put out a carbon plated shoe after Nike did, but but yeah, but it, they didn't get the foam right. Right, so. it wasn't a true super shoe, right? Yeah. Um, and so I remember talking about it with Patrick on the podcast several years ago when in fact that happened. We were like, Hoka, that is not who I expected a super shoe from, and it's because it yeah. wasn't a super shoe. No, I mean <laughs> even you know the. The Hoka athletes that ran the New York City Marathon, I mean, that was really the first time that they've really had a shoe on par with Nike, New Balance, Adidas, la la la. So, mm -hmm, but, mm -hmm. yeah. Very good. Good to know it can go 50 and 100 miles. <laughs> Very good. Right on. Um, and so, so of course, we've already talked at great length about about making a team and doing Mad City and that sort of thing. Um, and and you kind of mentioned this a couple of times, Allison, but I think it's worth making explicit. Your your experience in ultra races is not deep um and so so you haven't run tons of 50 milers and a lot of 100 milers and 100ks and that sort of thing um and so in addition of course to trying to make a team what else is what's next for you like like what do you have on your radar that you want to to do um i mean just keep that and and eventually go up to 100 miles mm -hmm. so just press it i mean i've had a lot of fkts in 2020 Ben and I did the uh, Georgia Loop and Georgia AT. So I also knew I could do the distance, um, but having it as a runnable um, thing where you're not taking hiking breaks and all that, um, you know, just practicing a distance and, and leaning into your strengths. So, but also 
using this downtime where I've been going, going, going and, you know, having a lot of races and workouts and all that, just letting my body just relax and just enjoy the downtime and not worry about losing fitness where I just want to run and I just want to be out there. I mean, one of the most enjoyable things I do is my morning run, whether it's with friends or just listening to a podcast and just zoning out and just preparing for the day. So Mm -hmm. um, just keeping up that consistent baseline and just enjoying running because that's, Mm -hmm. you know, not being sponsored and this isn't my full-time job, just enjoying it. Very good. Awesome. Very good. I have a final question. If you ran Berlin, um, hearing all of our text messages about you racing, but then you turned that off when you ran Tunnel Hill, you're kind of like one for one. So what will it be next time? Will you listen to us <laughs> talk about you the whole races you run? Or will you make sure that we're muted? So truth be told, I actually used Aftershocks during Tunnel Hill because my uh, AirPods actually died during Berlin. So I oh, wanted to... No. I didn't have to go back and forth. So I think it was just a default. And I think it was just what can last longer. But it was very encouraging to have people, you know, cheering and rooting and knowing people had a vested interest. So in my mind, I will just be replaying the text messages. Hmm. Oh, that's so good to hear. That's so heartwarming. (laughs) Our text group is safe. Allison Mercer, new national record holder. We really appreciate your being on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast for the third time. You say nobody cares that you run ultras. We care, of course, but people do care that you've been on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast three times for sure. You know, that will be the real shoe-in for the 100K team. There you go. Now you're talking. We're excited to see what's next. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasant podcast, on Twitter at pleasant podcast, on Instagram at most pleasant exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast. Be sure to share us with your friends. Blue Pineapple Travel can be found at bluepineappletravel.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, or on Instagram at bluepineappletravel. We're also proud to be sponsored by Elemental Altitude, Atlanta's best and only altitude training facility. You can find them at ElementalAltitude.com, on Instagram at ElementalAltitude, or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash ElementalAltitude. And finally, High Echelon. You can find High Echelon at HighEchelonCPA.com. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. We'll see you next time.